Hello, and welcome to Macro Horizons High Quality Spreads for the week of February 23rd. Are we there yet? I'm your host, Dan Creator, here with Dan Belton, as we discuss the widening in credit spreads in the last week plus, and try to forecast when credit spreads will finally find some stability. Each week, we offer our view on credit spreads, ranging from the highest quality sectors such as agencies and SSAs to investment-grade corporates. We also focus on U.S. dollar swap spreads and all the factors that entails, including funding markets, cross-currency markets, and the transition from LIBOR to SOFR. The topics that come up most frequently in conversations with clients and listeners form the basis for each episode, so please don't hesitate to reach out to us with questions or topics you would like to hear discussed. We can be found on Bloomberg or emailed directly at dan.creter, K-R-I-E-T-E-R, at bmo.com. We value and greatly appreciate your input. The views expressed here are those of the participants and not those of BMO Capital Markets, its affiliates, or subsidiaries. Well, Dan, certainly a lot has changed in the week since our last podcast recording. Really hard to believe it's only been a week. Why don't we start, as we often do, just giving us a high-level overview of what we've seen in credit in the past week. So the risk-off tone that we've seen characterize markets for most of 2022 has really intensified over the past couple of weeks. Our regular listeners and readers will know that we spent a lot of January talking about how credit spreads had been resilient in the face of elevated volatility. We had declines in equity markets and rises in treasury yields that saw credit spreads really hang in relative to the underperformance in other assets. That narrative has really reversed over the past couple of weeks. So the S&P 500 is down 6.2% in the last two weeks. Normally, the linear relationship between stock market returns and credit market returns would imply about a six or seven basis point widening in spreads over that period. We've seen more than double that amount of spread widening of 14 basis points in just the past two weeks. And spreads are really gapping wider here, leaving a lot of investors just wondering where and when credit spreads will find stability. We've seen that weakness permeate into the primary markets. And right now, I think the focus for most investors and issuers and the focus for this episode will be on when and where credit spreads find their new range. Yeah, I think it's really the only topic we can really consider for today's podcast. And so to try to begin answering that question, I think it's worth going back and looking at the outlook we had on the market coming into the year. We'd certainly say that things have happened quicker than we expected, but the move isn't entirely unexpected. I mean, we thought we would see a fundamental repricing in credit, just given the move in treasury rates and where inflation numbers are coming in, coming off the likely stimulus-driven and excess liquidity-driven, very narrow spreads of 2021, we didn't think those could be sustained. And we did think we'd see a significant winding in credit spreads at some point in time in the first half of the year. Obviously, that happened quicker than we thought. Usually, we see pretty supportive technicals around this time of the year that we thought would at least counteract the fundamentals and keep spreads well anchored while not really expect to see much narrowing. Instead, the move has happened quickly. And before the end of February, we are now off 40-plus basis points since the lows of September. So from the fundamental perspective, let's start here, Dan. We were expecting a move to a new trading plateau that better reflected the fair value of credit. And I think that we are either at or approaching those levels. So let's start the conversation by just laying out some of the ways that we think about fair value in credit spreads and where we are now. So we updated our credit spread model, which shows a fair value of 138 basis points as of last Friday. And that's about 15 basis points wider than current levels. As we've updated this model basically every week this year, just in the spirit of trying to find the new appropriate target level for credit spreads, 
we've noticed that this model has widened almost in lockstep with actual credit spreads. And most recently, that widening has been driven by a tightening in financial conditions, as well as a moderation in corporate fundamentals. So the tightening in financial conditions, I think we can attribute largely to the Russia-Ukraine situation, at least over the past couple of weeks. But financial conditions have been moving tighter for most of this year. And a lot of that's due to the inflation concerns. And another metric that I think we like to lean on a lot just looks at the ratio of corporate spread enhancement compared to treasury yields. And we look at a long-term average there of about 62 to 65 percent of treasury yields as a fair value. You know, that is the long-term range since the beginning of the index. It's also the average that we saw post-financial crisis, pre-COVID. So that very comparable low-rate environment between 2010 and 2020, you get a pretty consistent 62 to 65 percent of treasury yields. And given the backup that we've just had coming in today, we're about 62 percent. So model implied or percentage of treasury basis levels, we are getting to levels that we consider maybe on the narrow end of fair value, but no longer outrageously narrow. We're getting to maybe levels that you might consider neutral. Now, those indicators reaching neutral by no means means that we're going to suddenly see spreads dig in here and start to hold the line. I think momentum is decidedly on the other side. And Belton alluded to earlier, the primary market metrics seems like that's going to continue to be a headwind for credit here in the near term. But we had 125 basis points on the broad IG index as a target coming into the year that we expected to see in the first half of the year. And we are now approaching that level. It does seem to me that we're going to go past that level for sure. But I think there's an argument to be made that we might now be establishing that range, the new range for credit that we thought we'd repriced to, to a new fair value. And we'll probably establish some high point in the next couple of weeks that maybe that becomes the new range. You know, if we get up to say 135 or 140 basis points, maybe we can look at 120 to whatever that high point is as a new trading range for credit. But the question of where that level lies, is it a couple basis points from here or is it 30 basis points more to 150? That's going to be a very important question to answer. So maybe we can talk a bit about some of the more technical aspects of it now that we've reached a more quote unquote neutral fundamental range and try to come up with an appropriate upper bound target for the range that we're going into here. And so, and we've gotten how many minutes into the podcast without having to talk about the Ukraine situation. <laughs> I think we can no longer continue that. We have to at least talk about it now. I mean, as we sit down to record here this morning, headlines coming in that the U.S. has informed the Ukraine to prepare for a full-scale invasion, not just of the separatist regions that Russia acknowledged as standalone from Ukraine earlier in the week. Now we're talking about a full-scale invasion headed for Kiev, and it appears we are headed for all-out war. And I think the first question we have to try to tackle, it's not an easy one, is, is that what the market was projecting? Because we've certainly seen some of the positive momentum early in the morning in the equity markets and in risk assets come off, but we're still mostly unchanged from yesterday's levels. So is this a reflection that this was mostly priced or is there going to be another shoe that drops here? I think it was largely priced. Some of it, like you said, some of it was priced in more this morning. We saw equities drop from up about 0.8% to about flat as of when we we're recording this. And I think the market is now starting to price it more as impacting inflation and energy prices. And so obviously there are a lot of different ways that this can progress. But I think this headline was probably largely priced, just given that the market reaction was pretty mild. Yeah, I agree. And at the risk of being proven wrong in the near term, I think you can make an argument that 
while this situation is terrible, it's really hard to see how it's going to worsen meaningfully from here. I mean, I don't want to dwell on the topic here, but it does seem like we're going to have a war and Ukraine is going to fight back. And this will last a long time, months likely, potentially years, who knows. But it's hard to see how it's going to get worse unless there's more aggression from Russia against other countries maybe or something like that or the use of some type of weapon or something of that nature, something truly at the tail that it would be impossible to predict here. Maybe the drag on credit and risk assets arising from the Ukraine situation, maybe that starts to abate a little bit here. And certainly, you know, it's not going to be a massive relief rally or something like that, but we're not going to see as much upward pressure on credit from the geopolitical sphere, arguably, going forward now that we sort of have realized the worst case scenario with fallout war in Ukraine becoming a reality. And so if we're going to get a bit more stability on the geopolitical front, potentially in, in the weeks ahead, then it's going to come down to really refocusing on inflation. And you talked about the Ukraine situation is currently being traded as inflationary, which was surprising when the headlines this morning hit. The knee jerk in 10 year yields was not flight to quality lower. It was higher just in recognition of the inflationary impact at the headline level of high oil prices coming from the, the Ukraine showdown. But, you know, we should take a moment to talk about energy prices because certainly high energy prices are something that are going to be felt on the corporate bottom lines and could lead to further weakness in credit. Yeah, that's right. And I want to go back to something that you said earlier, which is that the worst case scenario is already realized. And I think that's possible. I think what has transpired up to this point certainly represents the worst case outcome that we foresaw as of just a few weeks ago or a month ago. There's a lot of ways that this could unfold and progress from here that could potentially lead to further flight to quality bids and widening and credit spreads. But I agree with you at this point, at least in the near term, we've probably priced to the worst of these headlines. I just want to clarify that I realize that there are certainly ways that this Ukrainian situation gets worse from here. I just, I want to be cognizant of the fact that when risk sentiment turns, it can turn quickly. And so by saying this is the worst case scenario and saying it's difficult to see things worsening meaningfully, I'm not saying it can't happen. But if we see this sort of just turn into a, a long drawn out war, the market will begin to tune it out at some point and will refocus on other variables. And to me, that can be constructive for credit. And so then the conversation becomes, what will be those other variables that are going to determine the next leg in credit? If we're settling into this range that we expected to be more fundamentally fair value level for credit spreads, if we're now settling into that range, what are going to be the drivers of the next move? And for me, then we have to set aside the Russia situation, because obviously if it gets worse from here in any way, that's an obvious credit spread widener. And I think what I was trying to go for earlier was saying that the probability of that appears to be low currently, but obviously we can't have a ton of conviction there. And there will have to be some risk that it gets worse priced into markets. But I think we do start to refocus now on other narratives. And that's what we arguably saw in today's market reaction to the headlines coming in. So what are those variables going to be? And I think all roads are going to lead back to inflation. And that's what informs the expectation for credit spreads to find some stability here at some point. We won't try to say exactly what level that's going to be, but we'll see some stability in credit here in the weeks ahead as the market just waits for more inflation data. Because we go back to the high-level macro view. Is the Fed behind the curve with inflation? Is inflation truly runaway? Because if it is, we're going to see another leg wider in credit spreads and likely a large one because we have corporate earnings that are going to be affected by high inflation. We're going to have a hawkish Fed that will continue to be hawkish regardless of the impact of their policy on financial conditions. So if inflation come July, August, September is still very high, 
credit spreads are for sure going to widen significantly from here. But we're going to need data coming in before we start to price that. So I think we're going to just have some stability in credit while we await incoming economic data to see the way it's going to go. And so ultimately, what is the top end of this range that we're alluding to for the most of this podcast? I think it's going to come from primary markets. It's going to be a question of where do primary markets settle down? And so for me, the thing that I'm watching most right now is new issue executions every day to see at what point they begin to improve. And to that point, I think today will be an interesting data point on that front. We have 11 deals in the market. Risk assets are down slightly, not terribly, but down about half a percentage point as of this recording. We have 11 borrowers in the market, most of them non-financials, as we've discussed on this podcast before. You know, there's been a lot of fatigue with respect to heavy financial supply. So I think we'll, we'll see, again, where primary market executions come in. I'm not expecting particularly strong. I think the days of one basis point average new issue concessions are largely behind us, at least in the near term. But if we see some improvement over where new deal executions have been in the past couple of weeks, I think that could go a long way towards shoring up some investor sentiment. And at the risk of stating the obvious, reserves remain extremely abundant in the financial system. Like Demand is going to materialize from investors at some point here once the momentum stops being such a headwind. Spreads are much wider now than they were at the end of last year, even the beginning of this year. And you can start to frame an argument. I'm not saying I'm doing this, but you can start to frame an argument that you know maybe the path to Fed liftoffs is too aggressive. Maybe the Russia situation slows the Fed down a little bit just in reflection of the geopolitical concerns. Just saying that the narrative of the year thus far has been Russia and inflation, and maybe that narrative starts to change a little bit, and suddenly spreads are much wider than they were. So I think you could see some demand materialize here in the weeks ahead. It will show up first in primary markets. When you're getting 10 plus basis points in concession every day, there's not much utility in buying secondary spreads. It's going to show up in primary markets first. But when we see that stability in primary markets, I think we'll see in the weeks ahead, I think that'll be the indication that spreads are going to settle into this new wider range and we'll see some cash get put to work around these levels here pretty soon. With that in mind, I think maybe we should, for the rest of the podcast, just maybe focus more a bit on the supply picture specifically and what we've seen so far this year in terms of IG supply and what we might be looking for in the weeks and months ahead. So coming into the year, we were expecting IG supply to be pretty heavy. We forecast about $1.6 trillion in gross issuance. Obviously, the wobbles in risk sentiment have cast some downside risk to that estimate. To date, we've seen about $225 billion in supply, and that includes $72 billion in February. January supply actually this year was the heaviest we've seen since 2017, and then supply has slowed since then. So a couple supply trends that I think are worth mentioning on the high-grade side. We've seen continued heavy financial issuance. It's constituted 59% of all high-grade supply this year, and that's really outsized from any year on record, at least through this point. So something to watch there, and as I mentioned earlier, we've seen some investor fatigue with that heavy financial supply. We've also seen a lot of front-end issuance, particularly with FRNs. FRNs currently are the highest proportion of issuance in February that we've seen any month since the onset of the pandemic. That makes sense as the Fed is embarking on a rate hiking cycle, but something to keep in mind there, especially as it relates to SOFR floaters, which some investors are only recently becoming familiar with. And then the weaker execution levels remain, I think, the most important story in high-grade issuance. 
New issue concessions in February have averaged 9.4 basis points, and maybe even more importantly, it's been worse for lower-rated products. So for triple Bs, we've seen new issue concessions of about 12.5 basis points, and for triple B minuses, that's about 18 basis points of new issue concessions on average. For context, in 2021, average concessions were just 1.3 basis points. And for that triple B minus subgroup, we saw actually negative concessions on average last year. And so the reversal of this dynamic, I think, is reflective of two things. First, there's the risk-off tone that we've seen with the Ukraine-Russia situation, as well as a potential for the Fed to start to pull away some of its accommodation more quickly than anyone was expecting as inflation remains high. It also probably reflects some moderation in fundamentals as this appetite for triple B debt that we saw for most of 2020 and 2021 really subsides. So in March, we are looking at about $75 billion in redemptions. A couple of the things we're going to focus on in our supply piece that we're publishing on Friday are the financial supply picture and where we expect that to go. We expect financial issuance to moderate somewhat as the Fed reduces the size of its balance sheet. As the Fed runs down its assets, bank balance sheets tend to decline as reserves fall as well. And we should see financial supplies start to normalize later on this year, even if it won't fall significantly below where we've seen it recently. And then lastly, at risk of stating the obvious, near-term supply trends are really going to take their cue from demand and from risk sentiment broadly. And we're going to have to see where new issue concessions come in over the next several sessions of heavy supply. If they start to shore up, I think March supply could come in on the heavier side. But in the near term, supply has been beholden to investor demand. And that's the main reason that February supply looks to be on track to fall short of expectations. Dan, you hit on a point that I think is extremely important, so I kind of want to circle back to it. You talked about how the worsening of financial conditions has been a headwind for supply in February, and obviously that is true. But do you think that will continue to be sustained if we continue to be in a bit of a risk-off mentality? Will issuers continue to avoid the market, or will we actually see the opposite, where borrowers will say, better just to pay some concession now and get my debt placed versus waiting for potentially higher rates and spreads in a couple weeks or months? Yeah, it's a great question. And we saw that dynamic, the latter that you mentioned, play out in much of 2020, where investors, once primary markets were really open as the Fed began to engage in extremely accommodative policies, that led to record issuance. But there was a period in 2020 where we saw weeks on end with absolutely no supply, as there was just investor trepidation and a lot of uncertainty. So I think it really depends on the flavor of this financial condition tightening. But I don't expect primary markets to be closed for a very extended period of time, even during these bouts of risk-off sentiment. All right. Thanks, Dan. And before we wrap up today, I did want to spend at least a moment talking about SSA technicals because we've really seen remarkable outperformance from particularly tier one SSAs throughout this entire credit spread widening event. Obviously, we talked about how we've seen credit spreads 40 plus wider since September. Tier 1 SSA spreads have really almost not moved, maybe a basis point or two, but they're still very, very narrow. And even Tier 2 spreads have widened, you know, 10 plus basis points, but Tier 1 spreads haven't moved at all. That doesn't come as a huge shock given the flight to quality episode we've seen with the Russia-Ukraine situation. You would expect to see more flows moving into SSAs at the expense of higher beta asset classes. But I also want to highlight that a big reason for why SSA spreads have held in so well is because technicals have been extremely supportive. U.S. dollar SSA supply in February was just $3 billion. That is the lightest month of SSA supply 
excluding Decembers, we have in our data. And further, net supply was negative almost $30 billion given a pretty heavy maturity schedule in February, which we have as the least net supply in the SSA market for a month on record. It's just been extremely, extremely strong technicals. And what's behind that? We have seen a bit more supply in other currencies. The basis has worked for not just euros, but also some of the other currencies. Canadian dollar supply has been high this year. We saw some Aussie supply at the beginning of the year. But that's notable because in just the past couple of weeks, now the ARB has moved again in favor of US dollars pretty significantly. And so even though we've seen a, a very slow start to the year in terms of dollar SS SSA supply, SSA borrowers aren't drastically behind like their funding programs. Like It's a little lighter than years past, but certainly nothing that would make us think that supply is going to start flooding the market. But we're certainly not ahead either. There's going to have to be supply in March, always a heavy issue in two months. We're going to get supply in March. And a lot of it's going to be in dollars. We had almost no issuance in dollars in February, and now the ARBs are all working for dollars again. So a long-winded way of saying that we haven't seen supply really test the SSA market, not really, in dollars since the risk-off attitude began. And I think as that supply comes back, we could see supply leading SSA spreads, particularly Tier 1 SSA spreads, wider in the coming weeks. And again, not expecting any meaningful, like, outsized widening in SSAs, but I think we do need to see some catch-up widening in SSAs because their RV is way off compared to really any other comparable asset class. Like, AA rated corp, A rated corp spreads SSA is very wide. I mean, even agencies at the short end of the curve are now a pick two SSAs, which is you know a departure from the experience of really the previous decade for most periods of time. So I think tier one SSAs, we could see some spread widening here in the weeks ahead. So maybe now wouldn't be a bad time to, you know, and you can go with it either way. Like if, if you're nervous about the Russia situation, you think spreads are going to continue widening significantly, you can go into an agency at a positive pick to SSAs and likely be a bit more insulated from spread widening. Or if you subscribe more to the view that we laid out, that we're expecting credit spreads to find some traction here and the risk off start to stabilize at least a little bit, you know, moving out of SSAs back into high rated corporates where you now get a much healthier pick than you were getting for certainly all of 2021 and even in the beginning of this year. So if we're looking to do any trades now, a very uncertain time for the market. But I think SSAs are a good sell candidate here, particularly tier one SSAs. And, and you can look at, depending on what your view is, you can look to readjust your portfolio there. And we'll just, alongside everyone else, wait and see where spreads finally do gain some traction. Anything else from you, Dan, before we sign off? No, I think that covers it. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to Macro Horizons. Please visit us at bmocm.com slash macrohorizons. As we aspire to keep our strategy efforts as interactive as possible, we'd love to hear what you thought of today's episode. Please email us at daniel.belton, B-E-L-T-O-N, at bmo.com. You can listen to this show and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast provider. This show is supported by our team here at BMO, including the FIC Macro Strategy Group and BMO's marketing team. This show has been edited and produced by Puddle Creative.
This podcast has been prepared with the assistance of employees of Bank of Montreal, BMO Nesbitt Burns Incorporated, and BMO Capital Markets Corporation. Together, BMO, who are involved in fixed income and foreign exchange sales and marketing efforts. Accordingly, it should be considered to be a product of the fixed income and foreign exchange businesses generally, and not a research report that reflects the views of disinterested research analysts. Notwithstanding the foregoing, this podcast should not be construed as an offer or the solicitation of an offer to sell or to buy or subscribe for any particular product or services, including, without limitation, any commodities, securities, or other financial instruments. We are not soliciting any specific action based on this podcast. It is for the general information of our clients. It does not constitute a recommendation or a suggestion that any investment or strategy referenced herein may be suitable for you. It does not take into account the particular investment objectives, financial conditions, or needs of individual clients. Nothing in this podcast constitutes investment, legal, accounting, or tax advice, or a representation that any investment or strategy is suitable or appropriate to your unique circumstances, or otherwise constitutes an opinion or a recommendation to you. BMO is not providing advice regarding the value or advisability of trading in commodity interests, including futures contracts and commodity options, or any other activity which would cause BMO or any of its affiliates to be considered a commodity trading advisor under the U.S. Commodity Exchange Act. BMO is not undertaking to act as a swap advisor to you or in your best interests in you, to the extent applicable, will rely solely on advice from your qualified independent representative in making hedging or trading decisions. This podcast is not to be relied upon in substitution for the exercise of independent judgment. You should conduct your own independent analysis of the matters referred to herein, together with your qualified independent representative, if applicable. BMO assumes no responsibility for verification of the information in this podcast. No representation or warranty is made as to the accuracy or completeness of such information, and BMO accepts no liability whatsoever for any loss arising from any use of or reliance on this podcast. BMO assumes no obligation to correct or update this podcast. This podcast does not contain all information that may be required to evaluate any transaction or matter, and information may be available to BMO and or its affiliates that is not reflected herein. BMO and its affiliates may have positions, long or short, and affect transactions or make markets in securities mentioned herein, or provide advice or loans to, or participate in the underwriting or restructuring of the obligations of issuers and companies mentioned herein. Moreover, BMO's trading desks may have acted on the basis of the information in this podcast. For further information, please go to bmocm.com slash macrohorizons slash legal.